Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle. Dion Tyree Gordon, enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. Ladies and gentlemen, the word of the day is love. What is the definition of love? Well, it can be defined as an intense feeling of deep affection or a great interest and pleasure in something. Can you use the word love in a sentence? Why, yes, yes, I can. I love football. Just that simple. I love football. NFL, college, high school, doesn't matter what it is. I love football. I love watching football. I love talking about football. I love the physicality, the athleticism, the strategy of football. I love everything about football. That's why a large percentage of these podcasts have been about football in some capacity, usually the NFL. Today, I made my maiden voyage into talking about college football. College football is special. I love the pageantry, the traditions of college football, uh, the history of college football. I mean, there's so many people I've met and talked to over the years who say they don't watch college football, but they watch the NFL, and I never understood that. Because where do you think the NFL players come from? They don't just fall out the sky. They're not growing on trees. They got to go through the ranks. They got to play Pop Warner and then play high school and then play college. Then you get to the NFL. But college football is a free minor league feeder system for the NFL. It's perfect. It's wonderful. It comes on Saturday. There really ain't much going on during the day on Saturdays. So you can sit back, kick back, relax, and watch college football. Then Sunday, you got NFL football. As a football fan, as a football nerd, Saturdays and Sundays, the weekends during the fall couldn't possibly be any better. Sure, the weather outside might be frightful, but football on TV is so delightful. It's so good to, to watch college football on Saturday and then watch the NFL on Sundays. It's football all weekend long. I love it. I really, truly, honestly do. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I've never talked about college football on this podcast, something I've been meaning to do. I'm finally getting around to doing it. So here we are. Let's just go ahead and dive right into it. But first things first, I must state my college football affiliation. Who's my favorite team? Who is Deion Gordon's favorite college football team? You already know me. You already know the answer. But to the rest of the listening audience out there, I feel like I got to state who do I root for on college football Saturdays? As I've mentioned many times on this podcast, I'm born and raised in the great state of Maryland, but I don't really root for too many teams from the state of Maryland. Anyone who knows me knows my favorite sports teams are all over the country. That's just how I roll as I get down. I don't root for the city. I root for the team. And in, in football, obviously, we've been listening long enough. You know I'm a 49er fan. In basketball, I'm a Laker fan. In baseball, I'm a Red Sox fan. See, this is all, I already know you're annoyed right now listening to me talking about who my favorite teams are because it's all over the country. I go from Santa Clara, San Francisco, California, to Los Angeles, California, to Boston, Massachusetts, and then my favorite college football team is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So I go from the Bay Area, California, to the SoCal, to Boston, Massachusetts, to South Bend, Indiana. Don't ask me why. These are the teams I just like. There's a, there's a, a clear-cut, defined reason. There's a good explanation for why I like all these teams. Uh, my neighbors growing up, 
were Notre Dame Fighting Irish football fans. This was, this was a an Irish family living next door to my grandparents. And the two sons that grew up in the household, I was good friends with. We hung out all the time. We played football and basketball together. And we just, you know, go outside and play and have fun as kids as kids should do, as, ki- as kids did growing up, in, in my generation anyway. Um, but I was good friends with both of these kids, and both of them actually attended class. They went to Notre Dame University in South Bend, Indiana for four years and graduated from Notre Dame. So not only were they big fans of Notre Dame growing up, but they actually went to the school and attended class and went to football and basketball games and so on and so forth. But just hanging out with them so much growing up was part of the reason I became a Notre Dame fan. The other part, the other reason I became a Notre Dame fan was easy access. They're on TV every fucking week. I grew up in the 90s. Notre Dame had just signed that deal with NBC back in, I think, 91. And when I started watching college footballs around 92, 93, they were on TV every week. Now, you had ESPN and different cable outlets that showed all the other teams in college football on TV every week, but their games weren't always on TV. Notre Dame was always on TV every week. didn't matter who they played against. And really the game that brought me into being a Notre Dame fan for life was the iconic, classic encounter between Notre Dame and Florida State in 93, where you had Florida State was the number one team in the country, being led by the eventual Heisman Trophy winner Charlie Ward, who ended up playing point guard for the Knicks, didn't actually play in the NFL. Uh, but you had the number one Florida State Seminoles coming into South Bend and playing against the number two Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Notre Dame won that game that day, unfortunately lost the following week to Boston College. Glenn Foley and all them guys, last second field goal beat Notre Dame. But that Notre Dame-Florida State game, the first time college game day from ESPN went on the road, their first time with Kirk Herbstreit, Lee Corso, and Chris Fowler going on the road, was for that game, and that was the game that really inspired me and brought me into being a Notre Dame fan. I've been a fan ever since. I've been a fan through the ups and the downs. There have been plenty of downs. The good Notre Dame football, the bad Notre Dame football, the uh, the Charlie Weiss error, Bob Davey was trash. Tyrone Willingham got an unfair shake. Tyrone Willingham only got three years when typically, historically, traditionally, Notre Dame football coaches usually got five years and Tyrone Willingham only got three. And truthfully, when that whole situation went down, I almost stopped fucking with Notre Dame. But here I am about 15 years after the fact. I'm still a fan. I still root for the Irish every Saturday. And, you know, that's just what it is. Like I said, I'm, I'm a kid from Maryland, but I'm a Notre Dame fan. The only local teams I root for are the Georgetown Hoyas in college basketball and the Washington Capitals in hockey. Everyone else is from all over the country. I grew up in the 90s. I had cable. I could watch all these teams play every week. I didn't have to watch just the local team play. I could root for whoever I wanted to root for. So I'm a Notre Dame fan. I guess I'll begin this college football discussion by talking about Notre Dame, the big news with the Irish. Uh, It's about a week old now. I'm a little bit late to the party, but so be it. But head coach Brian Kelly left the Notre Dame Fighting Irish to go to LSU and take over as their head coach. They fired Ed Orgeron this season, who won a national championship two years ago in 2019. He's been broken off. He's gone. Brian Kelly has stepped in and taken his spot. A lot of Irish fans are upset about this. Me, personally, I, I'm not even bothered by it. It is what it is. I, I don't think Brian Kelly was ever going to win a national championship at Notre Dame anyway. He got there. He got close. He got to the national championship game in 2012 versus Alabama. Where unfortunately the Crimson Tide stomped the mud hole in the Irish and walked it dry in that game. That game was never close. That game was over at the opening coin flip. 
Um, and you know, once again, story time with Uncle Dion. When that game happened, I was in the Navy. I was in Japan. I was on a 16-hour time difference. And I remember vividly walking out to the flight line. I work in aviation. I'm in uh, Asuka, Japan. I walk out to the flight line, and there's a guy in my squadron who at that time was an Alabama fan. This is going to sound – see, people get on me about rooting for teams all over the country. This guy, when I first met him, was an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, a diehard Alabama Crimson Tide fan. As a matter of fact, he had a book written by Nick Saban. He's from Alabama. He's all about the Tide. He had Alabama Crimson Tide pajamas on the ship. This guy was a diehard Crimson Tide fan. At least so I thought. He inexplicably switched over to being, of all teams, an Auburn fan out of nowhere. I'd never heard of this before. I've never seen this before. I personally would never even do such a thing. That's like me overnight becoming a USC fan as a Notre Dame fan. It's all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I say, fuck Notre Dame. I'm going to be a USC fan. This guy committed treason. This guy committed college football treason. A turncoat, a Benedict Arnold, turned against Alabama and became an Auburn fan out of nowhere. But on this particular day, when I walked out to the flight line, the day of the 2012 National Championship game in the Orange Bowl between Alabama and Notre Dame, I walk out there. I didn't want to see the game because, like I said, I'm on a 16-hour time difference. So I couldn't see the game live. I'm at work. My intention was to get off work that day and watch the replay of the game on the AFN American Forces Network. But this cocksucker spoiled the whole outcome of the game for me because I was actively trying to avoid seeing the score of the game or hearing about the game. So I didn't I did not check my Facebook that day, no social media whatsoever. Didn't look at my ESPN app, didn't do anything. I wanted to watch the game in its entirety and be surprised and watch the game as if it was happening live. But I walk out to the flight deck, to the flight line, and this guy has a shit-eating grin on his face and is looking at me, shaking his head. And immediately, as soon as I looked at this guy with that shit-eating grin on his face as he's shaking his head, I said to myself, Notre Dame must be getting their asses kicked right now. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened in that game. I forgot what the final score even was in that game. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to look it up. Typically, I do my research and my data on, on this podcast to try to be as accurate as possible. I don't even want to look at the score of that game. Fuck that game. All I know is that Alabama kicked Notre Dame's ass for four quarters of that game. It was never close, and it was a bad look for the Fighting Irish. And not only did Notre Dame get destroyed in that game, but the college football playoff, which came years later, they got stomped out like a cigarette by Clemson in the college football playoff in the semifinal a couple years ago. And then last season in the Rose Bowl, played in AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas because of COVID against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Once again, who eventually became national champions, Alabama murdered Notre Dame in that Rose Bowl last year. So the three times that Notre Dame has played in either the college football playoff or the national championship game. They've gotten destroyed, sent to another galaxy, sent to the moon, curb stomp, choke slam through a table, tombstone power driver through a sheet of plexiglass. They got fucked up every single time they played for a national championship. I give Brian Kelly a lot of credit for building Notre Dame back into a respectable football team. He took over after the Charlie Weiss era. And he put Notre Dame back on the map, and he made Notre Dame 
a legitimate college football program once again. A lot of guys came through the Notre Dame system and went to the NFL. You think about guys like Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey from my 49ers, thinking about Ronnie Stanley, Jeremiah Uso Kamara, Harrison Smith, Golden Tate, Chase Claypool, Michael Floyd, uh, Tyler Eifert, John Carlson, Kyle Rudolph, Zach Martin, Stephon Tuitt, Josh Adams, Ian Book, Will Fuller, I mean, just to name a few. But all those guys I just named were all developed by Brian Kelly in the last 10 years. Man, Teo, another guy, was developed by Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish in the past 10 or 11 years during the Brian Kelly regime. So not only has Notre Dame been a respectably good team, but they've put guys into the NFL. They've shown they can groom and develop players to play on Sunday. They've consistently won between 8 or 11 games almost every year when Brian Kelly was there. But I I always felt like he was never the guy to put Notre Dame over the top and win a national championship. That elusive 12th national championship in program history. Notre Dame has not won a national championship since since January 1989, since the Fiesta Bowl in January of 89 versus the West Virginia Mountaineers. You got guys on the team right now who weren't even alive the last time Notre Dame won a national championship. Those are the cold, hard facts. That's the harsh truth. That's the sad reality. It's been a while, but I always felt like Brian Kelly, even though he restored order at Notre Dame, I never felt like he was the guy to put us over the top and really back on the map and win a national championship. Winning a national championship at Notre Dame in the modern era is hard because you have so much competition out there, number one. There's other schools, other programs who are on the same level, if not on a higher level than Notre Dame as far as national relevance is concerned. You know, the academic standards at Notre Dame are through the roof. At Notre Dame, you actually have to go to class um, and get good grades to stay on the football team. You have the location. South Bend, Indiana is not really a desirable location. Some people will say that Notre Dame not playing in a conference hurts them as far as recruiting is concerned. I never understood that point. Uh, To me, I don't know what being in a conference has to do with overall recruiting because Notre Dame plays all over the country. Notre Dame plays everyone. They play on the West Coast, the Midwest, the East Coast, the South. They take on all comers. They play every team, not every team, but they play teams from every major conference in college football. They've played Tennessee over the years from the SEC. They've played Georgia. They've played Miami from the ACC. They've played Florida State. Uh, 2020, they played almost exclusively in the ACC last year. They played Clemson a bunch of times over the, over the years. They have that intersectional game every year with USC. They play Stanford. Those are two teams from the Pac-12. They played team. They played Texas a couple years ago down in Austin, Texas, uh, a school from the Big 12. They played Oklahoma a couple years ago, another school from the Big 12. They play against the Big 10. They play against Michigan and Purdue and Michigan State. They play schools from all over the conference. Notre Dame is a nationwide program, so I never understood the public outcry for Notre Dame to join a conference as if to say that them not being affiliated with a conference hurts them as far as recruiting is concerned. To me, that point never held water because Notre Dame is a nationwide brand. They play all over the country, all over the world. They have games. They have a game next season against uh, Navy over in Dublin, Ireland. No one else plays. No, no other college football team plays overseas. Notre Dame has a game in Dublin, Ireland. They played Navy a couple years ago in the same location. So not only is Notre Dame a nationwide brand, they're a worldwide brand. They attract people from everywhere. So I never understood when people lament about the fact that Notre Dame doesn't play in a conference. It's smart. It's a good business. If you play in the ACC or the Big 12, the Pac-12, the SEC, whatever, you make um, any bowl game, the Rose Bowl, Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Cotton, whatever the fuck it is, 
you make any bowl game, you have to split the payout from that game with the other schools in your conference. Notre Dame's independent. So if they go to the Rose Bowl, or this year Notre Dame is going to the Fiesta Bowl, they're playing against Oklahoma State. I don't know how much that game is paying out, but let's just say the payout this year is about $11 million. Notre Dame gets to pocket all that money for themselves. Oklahoma State has to share that money, share that payout with the other schools in the Big 12. Notre Dame gets to keep all that money for themselves. So why would Notre Dame ever join a conference? I don't understand the point of them joining a conference. To me, Notre Dame should forever be independent, but that's just me. But Brian Kelly is out. Marcus Freeman is in. And as I said, I wasn't even bothered by Brian Kelly taking off to get that job at LSU, especially when I saw the specifics of the contract. Brian Kelly compiled a win-loss record at Notre Dame of 113-40. and He has now left Notre Dame to take the job at LSU, and he will earn $95 million in base salary while at LSU. The 10-year contract includes a starting salary of $9 million his first football season, with that number rising in increments every year. The contract consists of other performance-based incentives, including a, long- a longevity bonus of 500000 every year as long as Kelly remains head coach on July 1st. This would ensure him a total compensation of nearly $100 million by the year 2031. Kelly will earn an additional 500000 if LSU makes a bowl game. LSU has been bowl eligible for 20 consecutive seasons, earning them the fourth longest active streak in the NCAA and the second longest streak in the SEC. For his first SEC championship, Brian Kelly will receive a $250,000 salary increase for the remainder of his contract. He will receive a one-time payment of $75,000 if LSU appears in the SEC championship and $150,000 if they win the game. If LSU wins a national title, his base salary will increase by $500,000 for the remainder of his contract. With the $500,000 bowl bonus and $500,000 longevity bonus, Kelly could potentially earn a salary of $11 million by 2031. He will also receive two courtesy vehicles or two car allowances worth $1,000 a month along with an interest-free home loan of up to $1.2 million to buy a house. LSU will cover 50 hours per year of travel on private planes, relocation funds, and the cost of its buyout at Notre Dame, which remains unspecified due to school being private, due to the school being private. If Brian Kelly is fired without cause, LSU will owe him 90% of his remaining salary. However, if he is fired without cause after winning a national championship, he will receive his entire remaining salary, including any longevity bonuses earned. LSU will not have to pay Kelly if he is fired without cause, with cause, I'm sorry. So with all of that being said, as a Notre Dame fan, Brian Kelly, I ain't mad at you. Go get your money. Notre Dame was not going to write you that check. Now, I thought the way he left was shitty by not telling the players, by not being upfront and transparent about what he's doing. Brian Kelly's a 60-year-old man. At this point in his life, you should be better and more mature about things. But that's consistent with who he is. Notre Dame fans got to remember, that's the same way he left Cincinnati when he took the Notre Dame job in 2010. That's the same exact way he left Cincinnati, left unannounced, out the back door, didn't tell anyone, and just took the job at Notre Dame. So this is who he is. And when you see the amount of money, you see the contract details that he's being offered by LSU, to me it's a no-brainer. 
you have a better chance of winning a national championship at LSU than you do at Notre Dame currently. The last time LSU won a championship, 2019. The last time Notre Dame won a national championship, 1989. Two years ago versus 32 years ago. It's just that simple. Notre Dame fans don't want to hear it, but me personally, I'm a realist. I look at things. I make my own decisions about shit. I don't get too emotional about things anymore, especially about college football. A lot of Notre Dame fans, similar to a lot of Florida and Texas and Nebraska and Ohio State fans, everyone, every team's fan base of a major university, Alabama, Clemson, etc., they all feel like it's your birthright to win a national championship, and every team feels like their school is a destination school. Apparently, schools like Notre Dame and Oklahoma are no longer destination schools. You saw how Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma to take the job at USC, which to me was another brilliant move on the behalf of Lincoln Riley because Oklahoma is going to the SEC in a couple of years. So Lincoln Riley is looking at the situation. I would think he's looking at the situation and saying, USC is in the Pac-12. That's a much easier conference to navigate through than the absolute treacherous SEC, the landmine, the obstacle course full of landmines and quicksand and a fucking net falling on you and mud and bombs going off, a whole minefield that is the SEC. In the SEC, you got to deal with that juggernaut in Tuscaloosa, the Alabama Crimson Tide. You got to deal with LSU is going to be good again, Florida, Auburn, Texas A&M, Georgia, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Kentucky is pretty good now. I mean, there's a lot of teams, a lot of smoke you got to deal with in the SEC. In the Pac-12, who do you got to worry about? Oregon? Utah? That's about it, really. Everyone else sucks. So if I'm Lincoln Riley, that's a, that's a no-brainer. That's a slam dunk. That's an easy day. It's a quick decision. I'm going to USC. Fuck Oklahoma. Y'all going to the SEC. I'm not dealing with that headache every year. I'll go out west. Better part of the country, SoCal, better weather, more access, a lot of great athletes, a lot of great talent in Southern California, and I'll restore USC back to respectability and back to prominence. To me, Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley made good decisions. I have no fault with either one of them. A lot of Oklahoma fans are pissed off with Lincoln Riley the same way a lot of Notre Dame fans are pissed off with Brian Kelly. But to me, when you look at the situations, it's a no-brainer. I have no fault with either one of them. Even as a Notre Dame fan, I have no fault with Brian Kelly. And besides, with the departure of Brian Kelly, that means Notre Dame has a new coach, and Notre Dame now has a new black head coach. Marcus Freeman takes over the reins of Notre Dame head coach, former linebacker at The Ohio State University, 35 years of age, a defensive coordinator for Notre Dame the past few seasons, has now been elevated to head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. There was a lot of talk about Luke Fickle, the current head coach in Cincinnati, getting the job at Notre Dame, or Urban Meyer, formerly a wide receivers coach at Notre Dame, a guy who has not been bashful or secretive about telling people that it was always his lifelong dream and goal to be the head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, but is Marcus Freeman who has that job now. Freeman has been a coach since 2010 as a graduate assistant at his alma mater of Ohio State, at Kent State as a linebacker's coach, at Purdue also as a linebacker's coach, uh, at Cincinnati between 2017 and 2020 as a defensive coordinator and linebacker's coach. In January of 2021, he was named defensive coordinator and linebacker's coach in Notre Dame. And on December 3rd, 2021, he was promoted to being the head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Congratulations to Marcus Freeman. Good luck. Wish you nothing but the best. 
I'll be rooting for you, not only as a Notre Dame fan, but as a black man. I'll be rooting for Marcus Freeman. Hopefully he gets five years at least, unlike Tyrone Willingham. Hopefully Notre Dame can right that wrong and make sure Marcus Freeman, at the very least, gets five years to be the head coach of the Fighting Irish. I, I think he's done a good job so far of retaining the staff that Brian Kelly had. I think it also says a lot about Brian Kelly that most of his staff did not follow him to LSU. But the majority of his staff has stayed put in South Bend and has really embraced Marcus Freeman to be uh, his assistant coaches and help him out, help him get acclimated. Most notably, Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator and former quarterback in Notre Dame, has stayed put to help Marcus Freeman with this transition. I'm excited. I can't wait to see how Notre Dame plays next season. It's going to be fun to watch. And like I said, I'll be rooting for Marcus Freeman. Good luck to him. Um, I'm very excited about this. Can't wait to see how it plays out. Now let's move on to the college football playoff. A four-team playoff to determine college football supremacy. The Alabama Crimson Tide, your number one seed. Your Michigan Wolverines, champions of the Big Ten. The number two seed. Number three is the Georgia Bulldogs, who just got their asses handed to them in the SEC championship game versus Alabama. And your number four seed, the first time ever in college football playoff history, a group of five team, a team outside of the major power conferences, the Cincinnati Bearcats have found their way to the college football playoff, representing the little guy. They are in the college football playoff, and they have an opportunity to potentially win a national championship. Will they do it? I don't think so. I don't think they have a snowball's chance in hell because, as I just said, they're the number four seed, which means they have to play the number one seed in the semifinals of the playoff, the Alabama Crimson Tide. What can you say about Alabama that hasn't already been said? This was supposed to be a down season. They sent a number of guys to the NFL last year. They have five guys going the first round of last year's the 2021 NFL draft. Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, who won the Heisman Trophy last year, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and Alex Leatherwood, five dudes went in the first round of last year's NFL draft. And a number of other guys went in the later rounds, like Christian Barmore went, I think, uh, the second round. So you had all these guys leave Alabama, and what do they do? They reload, they restock the cupboard, and they come back this season and go 11-1. And the only game they lost was a 41-38 shootout in College Station versus the a Texas A&M Aggies. And they get to the SEC championship game. And they absolutely eviscerate the Georgia Bulldogs, who've been number one all season. And their starting quarterback, Bryce Young, tonight was named the Heisman Trophy winner, the first quarterback in Alabama school history to ever win the, the Heisman Trophy. Alabama goes back-to-back -back on Heisman Trophy winners, with Devontae Smith winning it last year and Bryce Young winning it this year. This is similar to Oklahoma with Colin Murray and Baker Mayfield going back-to-back -back. In 2017-2018, USC with Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush in 04 and 05 going back-to-back. -back. Archie Griffin by himself in 74 and 75 where Ohio State went back-to-back -back as a Heisman Trophy winner. This is remarkable. Alabama, as I've said before in this podcast, is the unofficial 34th team in the NFL. I've always said Tom Brady by himself is the 33rd team in the NFL, Alabama is the unofficial 34th team. This is a professional football team playing in college. To me, I think it's Alabama's national championship to lose. It's pretty much every year in college football is the Alabama Invitational. Alabama is head and shoulders above everyone else. Nick Saban is the GOAT college football coach. This should not even be a debate. 
It is, it's remarkable. It's amazing. You look at the guys that have come through that program in the past 10 years. Holy shit. Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, Trayvon Diggs, Marlon Humphrey, Minka Fitzpatrick, Jerry Judy, Calvin Ridley, Patrick Sertain II, who also went in the first round of the 2021 draft. I forgot to mention them. So that's six guys from Alabama who went in the first round of the 2021 NFL draft last year. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Tua Tungavaloa, Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts began his career at Alabama and then transferred to Oklahoma. This is a football factory. And when it comes to the college football playoff on a yearly basis, I'm taking Alabama every year until Nick Saban steps down. I don't give a fuck, man. As long as Saban is there, you got to roll with the tide. The college football playoffs started in 2015. With the exception of 2019, Alabama has been in a college football playoff every year since the inception of it. Only one year they've missed a playoff. You have other notable, legendary name brand schools that have never been in it one time. Miami's never played in the college football playoff. USC, Nebraska, Texas, never been in the college football playoff. These are name brand schools, just like Alabama is. Penn State, never been in the college football playoff. This is the first year Michigan's made it. Florida State only made it once the first time. I was at that game, too, by the way. The first ever college football playoff game, the 2015 Rose Bowl, Oregon and Florida State, I was there in the building, live and in person, sitting in the Oregon section. Oregon fans, by the way, are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. These are very sweet, nice, down-to-earth, just cool-ass people. I bonded with the Oregon fans. I got no problem with Oregon. I've always kind of liked Oregon. The different uniforms every game, their style of play, etc. I was at that game in the Rose Bowl for the first ever college football playoff game. I was witness to history, and I was very excited to be a part of that. It was cool as shit to watch in person. It was cool just to be at the Rose Bowl, number one. I mean, this is a football landmark. Number one, obviously, the Rose Bowl is played there on a yearly basis, with the exception of last year because of COVID. Um, number, a number of Super Bowls have been played there before. You know, Super Bowl 14, the Rams and the Steelers. Uh, Super Bowl 27, Cowboys and Bills. Super Bowl 17, the Redskins and the Dolphins. I mean, just all types of football history is in this facility, this football landmark, this iconic facility, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. If you're a football fan, you owe it to yourself to take a visit to Pasadena and check out the Rose Bowl, go see a game, you owe it to yourself. It's awesome. It's, it's one of the best football experiences you could ever ask for. The Rose Bowl is incredible. But back to Alabama and back to the college football playoff, there was a lot of talk about, a lot of controversy, I guess, about the seeding of the college football playoff. The, the, the overall consensus was that the committee got it right, and I agree with that. The committee got it right. These are the four teams that should be playing for the college football playoff. No one else, and I really, I legitimately don't want to hear any talk about expanding the college football playoff beyond four teams. Six teams at the most, but on a year-to-year basis, there's really only four teams worthy of playing for a national championship. We don't need eight. We definitely don't need 16. The, college, the beauty of the college football regular season compared to other sports is that the college football regular season by itself is a single elimination playoff tournament. On a weekly basis, Top teams get knocked off and eliminated. Ohio State was a top team this year in college football. Even though they had, they had one loss to Oregon 
And then going into the, uh, the last weekend of the regular season, the rivalry weekend, they played their big rivals, their big-time rivals, the school up north, as legendary coach Woody Hayes would call them, the Michigan Wolverines, and they lost that game. They lost by double digits. They lost badly. And in that moment, the Ohio State Buckeyes were eliminated. They were taken out of the equation. Michigan beat them and beat them badly, beat them decisively, and Ohio State was eliminated. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State played that same day, the Bedlam game in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Oklahoma State came out victorious that day. And in the process, the Oklahoma Sooners were eliminated from college football playoff contention. They're done. They're out the picture. A week later, Oklahoma State went to the Big 12 Conference Championship game against the Baylor Bears, and Baylor beat them. And in the process, Oklahoma State was eliminated as well. So the college football regular season by itself is a round-robin, single-elimination playoff tournament that takes care of all the controversy, in my opinion, and we don't need to expand beyond four teams. It's probably going to happen one day because of money and revenue and capitalism in general. To expand the playoffs and make even more money for old, rich, white dudes, they're probably going to add eight more teams or 12 more teams or whatever the fucking case might be. And to me, it's a joke. It's unnecessary. We don't need to do that. Four teams is enough. And if you look at the history of the college football playoff, Typically, the semifinal games aren't very good. It's, it's a lot of blowouts. That Oregon-Florida State game that I was at, it was 59-20. to 20. It was a close game at halftime. And then Oregon came out in the third quarter on some Golden State Warriors shit in the third quarter death run and just ran FSU off the field. Jameis Winston on the field looking like shit. Eric Armstead, the force Butner, two 49ers, out there making plays. Marcus Mariota playing the best football of his life. They kicked FSU's ass in the second half of that game. You look at the Orange Bowl in 2016, Clemson 37, Oklahoma 17. The Cotton Bowl that same year, Alabama 38, Michigan State 0. They got shut out in the semifinal game. 2017, or the year later, the Peach Bowl, Alabama 24, Washington 7. The only Pac-12 school to make the college football playoff, and that game wasn't even that close. That game was not competitive. The Fiesta Bowl that same year, Clemson 31, Ohio State 0. The Sugar Bowl, the year later, 2018 now, Alabama 24, Clemson 6. The Cotton Bowl, a year later, Clemson 30, Notre Dame 3. Yeah, 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 whatever. Uh, The next year, in the Fiesta Bowl, LSU 63, Oklahoma 28. And last year, the Rose Bowl, once again, Notre Dame taking a massive L. Alabama 31, Notre Dame 14. In the Sugar Bowl, Ohio State 49, Clemson 28. In the national championship game, was Alabama 52, Ohio State 24. Most of these games aren't even that close. So if these are the four best teams we have in college football, what is the need besides money and capitalism What is the need to expand beyond four teams if the four best teams in college football can't even be competitive most of the time when they play against each other? You're really going to waste your time and add additional teams to this equation? The argument that I always hear to expand the college football playoff is that people are tired of seeing the same teams every year in the college football playoff and in the national championship, namely Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State. Those three teams have been in the college football playoff almost every year of the college football playoff. And the public is tired of seeing these schools in the college football playoff. They want other schools to be invited to be involved. Listen, it's not Alabama, Ohio State, or Clemson's fault that the Pac-12 sucks at playing college football. If you want West Coast representation, here's a concept. The schools in the Pac-12 should get better at playing college football. 
if, if people are tired of seeing what they perceive to be a Southern bias, and maybe there is, because ESPN definitely has a Southern bias. ESPN broadcasts the SEC and the SEC network, and they talk about the SEC the majority of the time that they do talk about college football on their channel. They, they, they work with them. They have a working relationship with the SEC. Uh, seven of the 13 members of the college football playoff committee have Southern roots. So with all that being said, I can admit that there probably is a Southern bias, but at the same time, the SEC is better at playing college football than everyone else. The Big 12 is down. Most of the time, the best school from the Big 12 typically is Oklahoma. They get to the college football playoff and get the doors blown off of them by either Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State. They're never really competitive. But if people are tired of seeing the same schools play every year in the college football playoff, do you really think adding more teams to the equation is going to help that out? All you're going to do is further prolong and delay the inevitable. All it's going to do is take longer to get to Alabama playing in the national championship game because Alabama is head and shoulders leaps and bounds better than everyone else at playing college football. They are the unofficial 34th team in college football. 16 teams is not going to stop Alabama from getting to the national championship game. All you're going to have is lopsided scores and Alabama just mollywhopping some random-ass school from the Pac-12 like 48-0 in a quarterfinal game. So what's the fucking point? I think Alabama is the clear favorite. I think Georgia... I mean, you very well easily could get a, an all-SEC final, which would piss off a lot of people who are tired of seeing SEC schools play for a national championship. But once again, they're just better at it. They, they play better football in the South. Look at the NFL. Look at the majority of the good football players in the NFL. They come from the South. They play in the SEC. LSU puts a lot of good players in the league, too. Georgia, Florida, Auburn, a and they put good football players out consistently. So... If you're mad about the SEC always being good at playing college football and you might be a USC fan or a Penn State fan, a Texas fan, don't get mad at the SEC. Get mad at your own school. If you're a Texas fan, get mad at the Longhorns for being consistently shit for like 15 years now. Get mad at them for hiring bums like Steve Sarkeesian and and Tom Herman, jackasses like that. Texas is awful. Texas is the drizzling shits. They're going nowhere. And they're going to the SEC in a couple of years. They can't even hang in the Big 12. They're going to get destroyed on a weekly basis in the SEC. But back to the college football playoff. It's Alabama's to lose. And and Michigan, Michigan's the team I'm rooting for because I'm a 49er fan. You already know that by now. And I'm very partial to Jim Harbaugh. I was ecstatic to watch Michigan finally get over the hump and beat Ohio State. To me, it felt like Steve Young in Super Bowl 29, when the Niners finally won the Super Bowl without Joe Montana. And Steve Young, that famous clip on the sideline, he's telling his teammates, someone please take this monkey off my back. That's how Jim Harbaugh probably felt at the conclusion of that Ohio State-Michigan game. Someone please take this monkey off my back because Ohio State had been shooting the club up on Michigan consistently ever since Jim Harbaugh got there. The Wolverines had not beaten the Buckeyes since 2011, a 10-year winning streak. This is one of the more classic rivalries in college football. It might be the best overall, all things considered, but it really hasn't been much of a rivalry since 2011. This is, this is Michigan and Ohio State. This is Bo Beckler and Woody Hayes. As a matter of fact, speaking of legendary Ohio State football coach Woody Hayes, one of my favorite stories in all of sports and all of college football 
was Woody Hayes back in the day on a recruiting trip through the state of Michigan. His car broke. The car was running out of gas, apparently. And one of his assistant coaches said to Coach Hayes, hey, Coach, we're, we're about to run out of gas. Maybe we should pull over to a gas station and refill. To which Woody Hayes said, I would rather push this motherfucker across the Ohio State line and refill this gas tank, this gas tank in the state of Ohio as opposed to getting gas in the state of Michigan. That's how much he hated. That's how much he hated the state of Michigan. He didn't even want to refill his car with gas in the state of Michigan. He would rather push his car across the Ohio state line and then get gas in Ohio. Shit like that is why I love college football. That is one, it's one of the more incredible and at the same time ridiculous stories I've ever heard in sports. And that pretty much encapsulates what the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry is. And for a proud Michigan man like Jim Harbaugh, who played college football in Michigan in the 80s as a star quarterback, who played under Bo Schembechler, you have to know it meant everything to him to finally beat Ohio State. All the doubters, all the detractors, all the naysayers, all the Paul Feinbaums in the world who told Jim Harbaugh, you're never going to beat Ohio State. You're never going to be shit until you beat Ohio State. Until you start beating your rivals, you're never going to matter. Jim Harbaugh can now say fuck you to each and every person who ever doubted him, to all the Paul Feinbaums in the world, to Paul Feinbaum directly. Jim Harbaugh, he won't do it, but I would love it if he did. He could say, fuck you, Paul Feinbaum, and fuck you to everyone who ever doubted me and told me I was never going to do this. I couldn't beat Ohio State, that Ohio State owned me. Fuck all y'all. We finally did it. Now, do I think they can beat Georgia? I don't know. Georgia is supposed to have a great defense. It wasn't that great in the SEC championship game. They got torn apart by Alabama. I think Georgia's offense, in particular the quarterback situation, is a little bit suspect. I think they can be had. They can be beaten. There, there's a chance. They're going to play in the Orange Bowl. Neutral site. Game's already sold out. This is a hot ticket. I'm rooting for Michigan. I want to see Michigan win this game because of, of Jim Harbaugh being a former head coach of the 49ers who never should have got fired in the first place. 44-19-1 as the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers between 2011 and 2014. I'm a big-time Jim Harbaugh fan. I want this team to win. I want them to get to the national championship game. I want them to beat Alabama. Do I think it will happen? Probably not. Cincinnati, great story. I'm always going to root for the underdog. You know, it'd be cool. It would be one of the biggest upsets in sports if Cincinnati could pull off this upset and beat the Crimson Tide. I think there's a 0% chance of it happening. But if it did, it would be a monumental upset. If the Cincinnati Bearcats can pull off a victory against the the mighty Alabama Crimson Tide, one of the biggest stories in college football, one of the biggest upsets, maybe the biggest upset in college football history if Cincinnati can beat Alabama. Everything broke right for Cincinnati to get to the Final Four of college football. First of all, they beat Notre Dame on the road in South Bend, and they handled Notre Dame in that game. That, That game was not close. They outplayed Notre Dame for four quarters. They decisively beat the Fighting Irish in that game. They earned that victory that day. And their schedule, they play in the the, uh, All-American Conference, the AAC, whatever it is, not the best schedule in the world, not the toughest strength of schedule out there, but they took care of their business. They beat down the schools that were on their schedule. They handled their business the way they were supposed to do. And now here they are. And all the schools that potentially could have been in front of Cincinnati lost. Ohio State lost. Oklahoma State lost. Oklahoma lost. Baylor lost. They all lost. All the schools that were in front of Cincinnati 
lost. And now here they are. They're in the college football playoff with the opportunity to shake up the world, as the late great Muhammad Ali would say. To paraphrase Muhammad Ali, they could, sh- they could say we shook up the world if they beat Alabama. For all you gambling degenerates out there, myself included, Alabama's a plus 120 favorite to win the college football playoff. Georgia's a plus 140. Michigan's plus 700. Cincinnati's a plus 1600. Alabama's a two-touchdown favorite over Cincinnati, while Georgia is favored by seven and a half over Michigan. Kickoff for the Cotton Bowl. Alabama and Cincinnati is 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on December 31st, which will be 12.30 for me out here on the West Coast. The Orange Bowl, Georgia and Michigan, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Both games on ESPN, December 31st. Cannot wait to watch both of these games. As previously mentioned, Alabama quarterback Bryce Young is your 2021 Heisman Trophy winner. This season, Bryce Young threw for 4,322 yards, 43 touchdown passes, four picks, a QBR of 88.9, and led his team to a 12-1 record. Congratulations to Bryce Young, very much deserving of the Heisman Trophy for 2021. The voting was unanimous. Bryce Young received 684 first-place votes, 2,311 total points. Second place, your runner-up for the Heisman Trophy winner was the Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson, uh, who was a fucking stud, by the way. That kid reminds me of Nick Bosa. He's probably going to be a top-three pick in next year's NFL draft, but defensive players never win the Heisman Trophy number one. The closest the closest I've seen in recent years is Indomitian Sue, who probably should have won it in 2008. Uh, for Nebraska, because Indomitian Sioux in Nebraska was a goddamn monster. That was a grown-ass man. Ask Colt McCoy about Indomitian Sioux in Nebraska. In that Big 12 uh, championship game in 08, Indomitian Sioux was a man among boys. Charles Woodson is the only defensive player to ever win it. That was in 1998. Other than that, it's a quarterback and running backs award. And in past years, the past decade and a half, it's been almost exclusively for quarterbacks. Third place in the Heisman Trophy voting for 2021 was Kenny Pickett, quarterback out of Pittsburgh University. Kenny Pickett been in the news the past couple weeks for uh, past week for a fake slide that he utilized in the ACC championship game versus Wake Forest. A lot of people hated this move by Kenny Pickett because they said it's unfair for the defensive players. It's chicken shit. It's poor sportsmanship. It's bad football. It's a bad precedent. Fuck all that. I was a huge – when I saw that, that highlight of that play, when I saw the replay of that, I was like, that's awesome. I was a huge fan of that play. I appreciate that. To me, it wasn't bad sportsmanship. It was gamesmanship. Anything you can do to gain an advantage over the opposition, anything you can do to bolster your odds of winning, anything you can do that will help you out and add to your favor in winning that football game, go ahead and do it. I'm a wrestling fan. I favor the heels, the bad guys. I like the motherfuckers who cheat and win. That shit don't bother me at all. I was a big fan of Eddie Guerrero. Rest in peace. Lie, cheat, and steal. At the time of the game when he did that fake slide, there was no rule against it. So go ahead and do it. Now there's a rule against it. Now you can't do it. But for people, all the people crying and complaining about what he did and it's, you know, it's a fake slide, it's, it's bad sportsmanship, it's in bad taste, man, shut the fuck up, man. Then What do we say about a quarterback scrambling out of the pocket who does a pump fake, even when he's passing line of scrimmage, to get a defender to jump in the air and bite on the pump fake, and he scrambles for a first down. Should we outlaw that too? Get the fuck out of here. Kenny Pickett, keep doing your thing, man. And he, He'll probably be the first quarterback off the board in next year's draft. Not a, not a whole lot of quarterbacks have been evaluated that highly for next year's draft. It's a quarterback-thin draft. 
But I think out of all the quarterbacks coming out next year, Kenny Pickett will probably be number one coming out uh, in next year's draft. Maybe uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers should take Kenny Pickett. Keep him. He's already in Pittsburgh. Keep him home. Uh, C.J. Stroud, the quarterback from Ohio State, was fourth in Heisman voting with 12 first-place votes. Will Anderson from Alabama was fifth. Kenneth Walker, the third, and running back on the Michigan State, uh, six in the voting, 18 first-place votes. Quarterback Matt Corral from Ole Miss was seventh. Quarterback Desmond Ritter, the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bearcats, was eighth place. Jordan Davis from Georgia, ninth place. And Brees Hall from the Iowa State Cyclones was 10th with zero first-place votes, but still 10th in the Heisman voting. Congratulations to all those guys for at least being in consideration for the Heisman Trophy, but more congratulations to quarterback Bryce Young from Alabama Crimson Tide for winning the Heisman Trophy. Salute to him. Salute to Nick Saban and what's going on down there in Tuscaloosa. Man, as a sports fan, I appreciate seeing history happen in real time. At this point, Saban is winning championships for posterity's sake. This is for future generations to, to talk about. As a sports fan, as a sports nerd, as a football nerd in particular, I implore sports fans to stop hating on people and just embrace and celebrate and acknowledge what you're seeing happening right there in front of your eyes. This is history, and you're privy to it. You are able to witness this in your lifetime. This is history. Just celebrate it. Stop being a hater. I say that, and I already know as I say that, it's going to fall on deaf ears because that's how motherfuckers function. The average person is a hater. They just don't like anything. But for me, I'm able to celebrate and acknowledge and appreciate what people do when they do something at a high level. That's why I appreciate guys like Nick Saban and Tom Brady and Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, people who function and operate at a consistently high level and win more than what they lose Nothing but respect for you. So Nick Saban, Coach Saban, I'm sorry. I don't want to disrespect the guy. Coach Nick Saban, keep doing your thing down there. Michigan, Coach Harbaugh, I'm pulling for you. I'm a Niner fan, like I said. Jim Harbaugh is always going to be good with me. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the college football playoff. It's bittersweet, though, because the college football season is over with. But at the same time, uh, bowl season is upon us. 40 different bowl games, most of which have ridiculous-ass names and all types of corporate sponsorship. But, you know... It's about money. It's about capitalism. I understand what it is. I'm a college football fan. 40, 40 different bowl games is 40 different opportunities to watch college football. So who am I to complain? This is going to be awesome. Can't wait for it. And with all of that being said, we have now reached the conclusion of this episode of Dion Gordon Podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Eternally grateful, always humble, very much appreciative. Can't possibly express my gratitude enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Until next time, picture me rolling. I'm out.